Hey guys, you like making money, right? Yeah, you do. I see the green in your eyes. Um, here's a really cool opportunity I wanted to share with you, and that's driving with Uber. Now, every time I take an Uber, whether I'm going to work or coming to the studio or going grocery shopping, yes, I take Uber grocery shopping. I'm almost that lazy. But um, I always have a really great conversation with the guys and girls who are just escorting me uh, around town, any town that is. And in fact, at South by Southwest this year, I had a really good conversation with the guy who had, you know, where Uber had just opened up in Austin, and he was talking about how awesome it is, how he's able to set his own hours, how he's able to be entrepreneurial. He was a student, so it allowed him to go to class and go to work and still get his education on and get paid. So, um, look, you've got a car and a license. I mean, most of you do. Otherwise, uh, just turn this off. But if you do have a car and a license, let's put them both to work for you and start earning serious, life-changing money today. Sign up to drive with Uber. Visit drivewithuber.com. That's drivewithuber, U-B-E-R.com. Uh, that's it. Drivewithuber.com. And holla at your boy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. I'm going to change the entire format, just, so, just like I just said. But no, everyone, this is another episode of Innovation Crush. I am Chris Denson. Thank you for listening. Uh, in case you're tuning in for the first time ever, I feel bad for you. You get a lot of catching up to do. If you are a returning listener, you probably know that the show covers all things innovation, ideas, creativity, um, and the people who are inventing and reinventing the way we think about and do things. So uh, first off, to my left, such a handsome bearded fellow. Yeah, Boy, handsome. That's a good. That's a good beard. That's like a. That's yeah, like. No, it's like brawny. You should be. You have paper towel with you. You know, it's actually a bunch of my trunk. <laughs> He's along a brawny with, salesman. Along with the lumber you've been cutting. <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't hear this tissue is for you to cry oh. about your beard. Um, <laughs> hi, Eric. Hello. Um, who are you? I am Eric. Eric. Okay. <laughs> uh, Eric Espinosa. I'm producing TED, uh, at TEDxLA uh, here in Los Angeles in December and also running a new nonprofit. What does the new nonprofit do? It curates experiences for families and individuals with life-threatening diseases, kind of utilizing a lot of tech uh, hmm. as part of that process. Nice. So you're giving everybody free Apple Watches is what you're saying. Yeah, that's I, it, I feel yeah. a little cold coming up <laughs> if that's the case. Um, and then on the TEDx side of things, um, what is happening with TEDxLA? Well, it's actually the first large event that's ever happened in Los Angeles. It's going to be uh, held at the Dolby Theater. And it's a celebration of the city and its place in the world, which we're really, really excited because with a theme set as imagination, we, we think that you know LA is the city of imagination and kind of telling that narrative of you know content and creation and a lot of different industries are really here and they're being exported out and they kind of dictate uh, culture around the, the, the world. Yeah. So we're, we're definitely delving into that and experimenting and seeing, you know, we're really excited to tell that narrative. Well, I'm, I know an amazing podcaster who's uh, just brilliant. He's a really brilliant guy. But I'll tell you about him later. Are you Leo Lepart? <laughs> uh, speaking of imagination and creativity, I, I don't think it uh, gets any bigger or better than our guest, Barnett Bain. Say hello, Barnett. Hey, it's great to be here, Chris. It's good to meet you, too. Really good. Pleasure. Uh, Barnett, what, it's a very untypical name. What's good, a, huh? My, my mother was very untypical. 
How very so? untypical. <laughs> she was young. She's probably something she heard like on the soaps or something, but she was very young and seemed like a good name at the time. It's, a, it's still a good name. You know, I'm, I'm growing into it. It <laughs> yes. took a while. <laughs> it's starting to settle into it, it a little bit. <laughs> it took a while. I, mean, I woke up one morning and suddenly it felt warm and warm and fuzzy like and lived in. Put it on like a warm coat. Yeah, exactly. But it took a few years. There you go. Um, so uh, give us a little bit of 101 on who you are, the elevator version of your Elevator version, uh, film producer, and a film director, writer, uh, What Dreams May Come, Celestine Prophecy, Homeless to Harvard, uh, doing a film now with uh, Donald Sutherland and Eckhart Tolle, a family film about a kid that takes on the neuroses of his caregivers. It could just as easily be the neuroses of the culture. Let's talk about that later. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, that's pretty deep. Pretty deep stuff. Um, stuff. I and the writer just wrote a book that uh, I know you're enjoying because that's what brought brought me here. So it's on its way from Amazon, but I was lucky enough to be able to read I the introduction. Why don't you go down, hike down, and Barnes, Barnes and Noble, one. brother? I, I need the thirteen bucks. <laughs> So you could give it to your nonprofit. Yes. Uh, so, what dreams yeah. may come. Dreams we'll see about come. that. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the book of being and doing. The book of doing and being. Doing and being. Doing and being. It's a book about um, reawakening creativity in, in life and in love and in work. What is the difference between doing and being or are they one and the same? They're not one and the same. We are so accustomed. We're so conditioned to do, 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 do that if I say to somebody, you know, just be, they say, great, how do I do that? You know, tell me, just tell me what to do and I'll be. But being is a, is a embodied state. It's a visceral state. If, uh, if you boys fall in love, and it's not like you've ever, not ever had that experience. With each other. With each other, exactly. Shave that beard. Get that beard out of here. So, you know, you, f- you, have a, you, f- you feel in love, or you feel anxious, or you feel depressed, or you feel in the flow state. It's a mood. And it carries, um, it, it carries a certain set of behaviors with it. And how you behave, how you speak to someone inside a mood of anxiety is not the same as how you do the same things, have the same conversation, do the same podcast, um, bag the lunch, drive your kids to carpool. How you, how you bring it inside of one mood is very different from how you bring it inside of another mood. And to begin to develop an intimacy, a closeness, a tenderness with what is going on with ourselves vis-a-vis our moods and to calibrate them because most of our moods become habituated. They become default. You know, we all know people who are either perpetually off or angry or disappointed. They always have this, they always show up in the same way and it holds the space for everything they do. You try and generate a creative idea, a new idea. Right. Uh, out of a mood that is uh, always no, 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 right? How many people can you think of? And you don't have enough fingers on both hands to handle <laughs> this one. You bring them something and their first response is no. No, no, all the reasons why not. Right. And eventually they come around and by that time it's their idea. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so these are conditioned, uh, con- conditioned situations and we can become aware of them and we can begin to calibrate them. 
You thought there was a straight yes up, up, no, up down that, question, that, right? I, I knew I knew who I was booking on the show. I figured, <laughs> I figured you had a, uh, a couple of gems in you. So let's just keep it coming. Keep it coming. <laughs> Eventually, we'll find one. Right. Um, so why uh, why are I don't know why are you the guy to write this book, right? Uh, and no one's done it, you? and I just figured somebody had to do it. I have spent my whole life. Um, Exploring creativity as a creative. Uh, and for most of the time, figuring out, well, how, wondering how am I going to sustain myself next week, next month, next year? How am I going to keep this going? And it got to a point where I simply um, realized that the act of creativity itself is a mood, is a state, is a being state. And as long as you calibrate to it, as long as you're connected to it, attuned to it, it perpetuates itself just as anger perpetuates itself. So I thought, well, this is an area worth exploring and worth writing about. And I could unpack all of the tools that I've gained over 30, 35 years of being a creative that uh, bring us into a relationship with being states and begin to explore it. It it felt like the natural progression. Then, you know, I was working on a book and well, even before that, I had done a five-hour lecture at Rocketdyne, Pratt & Whitney mm-hmm. Rocketdyne. Remember, they used to make space shuttle engines, and now I think they just do jet engines, but they had better props before. <laughs> so I did this lecture, and at the end of it, um, a few weeks later, somebody sent me a transcription of the whole thing, and it said 45,000 words. And I thought, God, 45,000 words. That's a book. I, that's exactly. Buddy said, <laughs> buddy said to me, that's a book. And... You know, you that's a, yeah, that's a long. That's a long lecture. So five hours. That's what um, it means. <laughs> five hours. Would that fit on the TED Talk? Is that uh, uh, maybe forty-four? <laughs> you just like you, you crunch it. We'll compress it. We'll see if we can. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now it's interesting that you say like you refer to yourself as a creative, but not necessarily in the in your work. Because you know, I feel like true innovators, true creators, are creative problem solvers. Right, so the same principle that you would apply to a what dreams may come yeah. from a creative standpoint, yeah. and from a production standpoint, yeah. are the same principles. You go like, ah, I need a new X in my house, whatever, whatever yeah. the thing is. Um, kind of, I don't know. If, can you walk us through a little bit of the parallels? Between... I don't make the distinction. Right, I actually don't make any distinction at this point. To me, every act is a creative act. Right. Every thought, every choice, every decision, every feeling is a creative act. They are all conscious. Now, sometimes they're habituated, and so we're not consciously aware of them, but they're always a choice. And so to the degree that I can become more attuned to the choice-making and be a party to it is to the degree that I am uh, exponentially more powerful and more effective as a creator and how it shows up in my work and in my relationships and in my friendships and hanging around Stuff like people that I meet and that I get get into a get into a relationship with, they become all become creative acts. So there isn't a, a, the siloing of uh, here is where I unpack my quote unquote creativity and then I go into the humdrum of my life. The whole of life is a creative act, and when we can rise to the awareness of that, it becomes something radically different. That's brilliant. Uh, so I like I'm, I'm going to go through a few quotes I've read. And at first, I want to ask you. Yeah. The cover of the book. 
uh, some open hands yeah. and some dots, yeah. uh, which I see dots all the time, so I need to go to the doctor. Yeah. But why are there dots on the cover of your book? Like, What is the symbolism behind the, the imagery? Uh, the hands, you know, doing, being. One is the doing hand, one is the being hand. Also, there's something that I, there's something I love just about, I love hands. I love, I love uh, how expressive they are. I notice hands. Um, it seems to me that hands are more than eyes are the windows of the soul. The hands are certainly the windows of how we show up in the world. <laughs> um, you know, you get people who, with, I don't want to belabor this point, but, you know, no, just their hands and feet, hands and feet. You look at somebody's feet and you check out their shoes and they're all scuffed up and you know they're going to kick their way through life. You look at somebody's hands and there's a certain kind of, uh, aliveness to them, or there's a refinement to them. Uh, you have a deep insight into who, how they're going to show up. So, I love hands. I wanted to um, suggest that there is something that uh, that is both passive in the way those hands show up on the book. They hold the space. They're a, a they're a womb of possibility. They, they define a space that is unfilled, and those little dots. They just suggest that, uh, you know, they're whatever kind of dust you want to turn them into, <laughs> brother. Whatever you want to do. Right. Well, I was thinking, like, they're almost like these creative concepts, right? That they we are. All, like, and they're foil, right? right? So you notice that they're foil. They mm-hmm. sparkle. And they are, They are. Um, you know, it's these creative concepts, they're etheric. How are my hands? They're okay. okay. Your hands tell a, a big story. They tell a big story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Innovation crush. Exactly, exactly. Is this, uh, <laughs> what is the rating of this show? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I was going to go really south when you said a being hand and a doing exactly, hand. Exactly, exactly. Like... We have young children <laughs> in the building. <laughs> exactly. Um, first quote, the, actually I think this opens the book. Yeah. Uh, Wherever you are is the entry point. Yeah. Exactly. That's uh, not that's not original with me. That was sure. Kabir. Yep. And uh, there are no beginnings. There comes a point in uh, as we grow a little wiser, we realize there are no not there are not beginnings to everything. There's uh, when we're young, when we're uh, inexperienced about life, there are certain fundamental entry points into accumulating knowledge, but there is no beginning to uh, wisdom. Wherever you are, you, you, you begin with whatever shows up. So uh, in a creative act, there is no there, put this foot in front of that foot. Where, where's the entry? Where's the beginning? Where's the end? Where's the finish line? In a creative act, you throw yourself into the middle and you rearrange, you, be, you define yourself in relationship to everything that is around you. You realize that contrary to being a beginning or an ending, you are always the middle of what, whatever's showing up. Whether it's, an, whether it's a song, it's a practice, it's a business, a relationship, a family. If you notice, you're always dead center in the middle. So if you're looking for the door in or the door out, man, you're going to be a long, <laughs> gonna be a long hunt. <laughs> Help me. Long hunt. <laughs> By the way, I'm going to put on a lot of acting for you just along throughout this interview. Just yeah, do it. Just in case. Right. Yeah, yeah, we're casting now. Just in case. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, creativity is a relationship you nurture, must nurture, or life ceases to delight and surprise. Yeah, you get um, complacent about uh, a poem, a song. A relationship, 
a family, you get complacent about something, and uh, it starts to decay. And pretty soon you begin to uh, lose the spark. You begin to, it no longer feeds you. If you don't feed it, it will not feed you. I don't care whether you're writing a poem or you're cooking a meal or you're just trying to get across town in traffic. If you don't show up 110%, man, the world is not, <laughs> the world will show up 120%, but you got to show up at least 100%. Right. You hold back at all. You've got nothing to work with. And as we go through these, like I, I feel like, you know, I'm going to go back to the being and doing concept yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Because I think intellectually we all understand what it means to, you know, be a, a even Deepak October talks about you're a human being, not a human doing. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but how do you bridge the gap from going from the doer to the the beer? <laughs> the, <laughs> all right, let me, let's let's um, put the clutch in here for a second and set up a little context here. So that uh, our listeners don't think that we are just, uh, you know, a bunch of groovy uh, guys and a groovy gal sitting up here in this fabulous They've listened to the show before. They know I'm not groovy. <laughs> so they know, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that is not the truth. So to put a little context on this, when we talk about doing, we're really talking about um, a conditioned behavior that has to do with um, strategies, 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 strategies. When I'm talking about being, I'm talking about a less conditioned behavior that has to do with humanities. Strategies and humanities. We are conditioned to approach life uh, with steps. I'm going to do this. I'm going to build this. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to push. I'm going to. It's it's the Nike philosophy, right? Just uh, just do it, which is a great in its place. Uh, it built a world and it built what we've got going. Physiologically, we have um, a, a triune brain. So we come in. We come into the world. We have this reptilian brain. It's already formed. It's this fight or flight, startle fight or flight syndrome. It's already formed. And then we also come in in utero. We have a limbic brain. The limbic brain is emotional. It's imaginative. It's visceral. It's embodied. It understands play. It understands emotion. It longs for its mom, even in utero. You see it in every mammal. Okay, you watch dogs play. Dogs, a dog, you throw a thing at a dog, it'll run, it'll get it, it'll bring it back. That is not an evolutionary impulse in the sense of right. in the sense of, of prey. Uh, that is a higher order of being that that values play. It is baked in to the mammalian brain. You take a puppy away from its mom, and you will hear from it, and you will hear from the mom. So this limbic brain uh, attunes to emotions. It is when we make an emotional connection. It is the limbic brain that is doing that. The third brain is the neocortex, the most recent brain, and it's, it is really not online uh, until probably about a year, 18 months after you're birthed. By this time, you're giving over everything to logic and reason. This is the home, this is the executive action. This is the home mm -hmm. of logic and reason. Do stuff. So... There, there are a number of reasons which we could get into. I'm happy to get into it, but I know we want to keep this a, a conversation, but I'll work it in over the course of the, <laughs> the, course of the time. The, the key point here is the emotional brain, the limbic brain, and the 
doing brain, the executive action brain, they are different mental systems, different neuronal systems. They don't connect. So you ever notice you have an emotion, you have a feeling, and you just say, well, just, you know, I'm just going to will myself out of it. But how, how you know, how's, you that, work? yeah. how's that working no. for you, right? Uh, or relationships or I'm just, you know, this is a bad relationship. I'm always with the, I'm going to, I'm not going to do it anymore. <laughs> you cannot um, have a conversation, a logical and reasonable conversation with a part of yourself that operate, that doesn't have any connection with logic and reason. It doesn't operate there. It doesn't hear it. It doesn't right. understand it. It is unconnected and vice versa. And so our doing nature is very familiar to us. Our being nature, our limbic attunement, is less developed. The uh, real innovative and creative ch uh, juice lives in under our emotions. And for that, you have to have an attunement with your limbic. And then you have to have a relationship with the neocortex in order to write the song, to build the building, to, you know, to you know, rock the baby to sleep. Right. But if you don't have a relationship with the limbic, if you can't nurture that, and you can't, to the degree you nurture it, uh, everything changes. I'm going to need a dictionary for all these. Uh, <laughs> I have, uh, I have study <laughs> notes. I've got book? study notes in the car. I'll bring them right up for you. Um, no matter what your vocation, you come to realize that life is a freelance affair. And I like I, uh, again. Yeah. I don't know what this means. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah. I, 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 I think get a feeling do. of it. My limbic you... uh, vertebrae. Yeah. But, no. Uh, <laughs> I think you do. But I, you know, I like the fact you, when we do the show. It's it's usually like you know we talk to a lot of business people, entrepreneurs, people who are inspired. You know, from from some sort of business perspective, and you know this idea that what you're talking about sometimes can feel like it's for them, right? Yeah. So, so I like that because it kind of was like no matter what your vocation. You come to realize that life is a freelance affair. Yeah. So, hey, listen. When I was a kid, um, I grew up in northern Quebec. My dad was the local butcher. My mom was a housewife. And um, the last thing there was a there was an artist who lived in the town. He was a, a small town I lived in, French Canadian town. There was this artist. He was a painter and a wedding photographer. Not a bad painter. And I, I remember him because he smelled of, um, of espresso wherever he went. He had scarves. And I thought, I, this is northern Quebec, you know. We didn't have that. So what was the most remarkable thing about this guy is, and they would say this around the dinner table, he was a freelancer. <laughs> a freelancer. You couldn't, <laughs> this is the word you dare not speak out loud. Right. Because what it meant was he had no safety in the world. I can't see him. He had no safety in the world. That's Irby, by the way. She was, she was like one of the original guests on the show. Come on over here. So, <laughs> he had no safety in the world. I was raised in an environment. My dad was all about saving and the retirement account and all this. There was no, this was his safety. So here was this photographer. He had no safety. If he didn't book a job next week, next month, he didn't eat. So this was really exotic stuff. Now, over the years, I have not only have I come to, not only am I a freelancer, ah, but uh, <laughs> a freelancer, a freelancer, exactly, a freelancer. <laughs> but I realize so is everyone else, because the idea that you can um, bank security, emotional security, or that you, is is about as dubious as I can bank my health or my my youth. 
uh, or my fabulous looks. You cannot bank anything. You can't. This is like a snowflake in winter trying to bank itself for the summer, for the spring. It's just not going to happen. But we, this, this neocortex again, this executive brain, it is the rationalizing brain. So it can make a story about anything. All stories are birthed here. That's another piece of you asked me before, how did I come to write this book? I've been a storyteller my, own, my mm-hmm. whole life, and it came to a point where I asked myself, what came before stories and what comes after? So this was the beginning of the right. answering of that question for me. So it is your, your cortex that rationalizes and makes all stories. One of the great stories is I can, um, I can st- outthink life. I can st- outstrategize life. I can bank life. and uh, It's not true. You cannot do that. You can develop an intimacy with your moods. Some of us... Uh, have these moods that are so confident only around developing money or only around a particular siloed area of right. life. We're, we're so confident inside of these places that it appears that we are, um, that we are secure against life. But the, the deeper truth is we are generating moment to moment in the same way at night when you, you, know, you have a bad piece of fish and maybe you have a nightmare. Um, you are, you, you, it's almost like you're, almost went south again. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um. It's, like, it's like you're predisposed to uh, a certain kind of dream, and it, it's not dissimilar. It's not dissimilar in the way we approach life. It's not dissimilar in our psychology. We think that, it, that this, this is really about insurances and guarantees. The deeper understanding for, from a creator is that you are always generating it moment to moment to moment to moment. You're always showing up and you're bringing it and you're bringing it. And the moment you think that there is some outside agency, whether it is a bank account or or youth or a spouse or the, um, or the last quarterly statement, the moment you think that you can rest on that, you are so royally yeah. cooked. <laughs> Yeah. Do, do you think a lot of that is also comparative, especially yeah. in, in the era of social media totally. where, hey, look at me. I'm on the beach. Totally. Look at me. You didn't say you were on the beach because you don't have a job right now. That's right. You're like, you know, <laughs> That's it's, right. and people, we look at, you know, each other's lives through this lens of like a very finely curated lens of like, I'm going to show you these moments. That's right. Um, That's right. And it, they're craft, they're craft, people are crafting a story. Again, they're, it's, they're in the ratio, the, the ratio world. They're rationalizing. Uh, the reason one, one curates moments on social media is because you are crafting a story that is either supporting your status, your success, in, or your, your success or status. That is security, success, and status. That is the only thing that we, that we craft, that this part right. crafts. That's the only thing it does. So every social media um, page is always a carefully curated document that shows only what the persona is, only the persona is. And more and more we understand that about each other. And so more and more we understand how patently uh, bankrupt it is as an authentic uh, document. It it says nothing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's so true. What's interesting, what you're just touching on, and I've actually been seeing a lot with my friends and the millennial generation is kind of like they've been sold a lie of what life is supposed to be. And then kind of like 
it's it's interesting kind of maybe even seeing the, that light bulb going off of wow there's so much potential and I, I could have like there almost a duality of I could work for this firm but I actually am really interested in music in millennials artists. it's not a light bulb going off it is it is fireworks it is <laughs> it is a supernova and you can watch an entire generation online and uh, all lights are going on at the same time it is exhilaratingly it's thrilling Everybody is suddenly seeing, you know, the, the emperor has no clothes. And they're, um, they see more than ever through the lies. They see more than ever through the rationalizing. And they're going, they're making choices that say, this doesn't work. What will feed my soul? What is an innovative, creative choice? Now, that is our actual birthright. But they are so disillusioned as a generation. And I think it's a healthy disillusionment. I think it's the salvation of us all. They're so disillusioned um, by what has come before that they um, are turning to um, an emotional state. They're going past the rationalizing. They're turning to a, they're, they're turning into a, their own emotional attunement. This doesn't feel good, notwithstanding right. the story. This doesn't feel good. What would feel good? Well, now we're in the big game. Right. Now, we're not talking about narcissism here. We're not talking about vanity here. We're talking about um, no longer self-abandoning our true emotional nature in search of status or in search of security, in search of safety. We're going to our true attunement. So this is not just subversive. It is so revolutionary. It is so astonishing to see an entire generation doing it. It's fantastic. Well, I think it's also, you know, you mentioned the technology and the social media. and That accelerates the it. Rate of, yeah, the rate of discovery is so m- f- more rapid than what it was, you know, when I was a It was linear. Right? When you yeah, were there, it was, like it was a, linear. One, one, um, <laughs> one patently BS story at a time. By the time you're 30, you're like, oh, it's a lot. But, you know, and it's a, it's a different rate of discovery. So those life lessons and the things that attract you that you are or genuinely in tune with reveal themselves sooner yeah. or you're or in a greater mass. And they're abiding when, when I, you know, you're a bit older and I'm, again, a bit older than Easy, you. Easy, buddy. I, <laughs> I claim that I took, I took I am a bit older than him. But you can't see, so nobody knows how much. <laughs> so, right. But uh, we Solid did not hands. have the abiding evidence. We would have these gestalts of awareness of deeper truth, but we did not have the abiding evidence that is, uh, that is there today for this generation. They just see it everywhere, and it is so patently, uh, transparently shallow. And I'm not making value judgments here when, I, when I'm speaking about this. I'm only referring to the, um, to the ability to perceive below the surface what is, um, what is not being fulfilled and what is not being gratified. So that when you turn on the television and you see uh, at any moment some commercial for an, uh, for a, a banking institution or somebody, and they they're you know they're telling you about how much they care for you. Right. They really spend the time and the money to put that message on air. Who do they really? Th- who do they think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who do? Who do they think? 
Well, that's why I like it's a lot buying of, into yeah. that. No, that's great because it's, it's, it's one of the reasons why a lot of the larger financial institutions are you know, more millennials prefer things like peer to peer lending, yeah. and you know, or they don't they want to go into a bank. I don't want to talk to you. I don't know you. They don't even <laughs> want to. They don't even want to ride a, drive a car. Right. They don't mind going to a bank. <laughs> Not even buying cars. Um, so let's keep going. People have speaking of the sharing and the sharing economy. People have wonderful things to share, but most of us don't realize that we are actors on the stage of history, and every actor needs a coach at some point. Which actually wasn't a quote from you, particular. It was uh, a woman named Barbara that was Barbara. in you. But, yeah, Barbara. But um, explain herself. <laughs> I'm going to put words in her mouth. Uh, Barbara, if you're listening, I know this is not sanitary, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> Say so, ah, Barbara. 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 <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, we were never meant to go it alone. We're, we're, um, it's not just that we're social animals. That's it's no less of um, true for being a cliche. But we're a social system. You know, we, we are... We are, uh, we, as a system, we create something greater than the sum of the parts. We're a synergy. Um, so there, we, we were never meant, I don't think there's anyone except the most uh, psychotic of us who thinks that um, by myself I can do everything. We are, we are designed to operate in teams. We are designed to lift each other to uh, to a greater sense of possibility, to uplift each other, to be lifted by each other, we're designed again by by virtue of that limbic brain, which exists only to create connections. It exists. It does nothing else except create connections, by virtue of emotional attunement. That is all that it does. That is its whole function. So we are we are physiologically wired for connection. And when we over-rely re- over on the strategist and on the critical function, on the abstracting, that takes us out of a visceral, juicy, embodied experience of other, of community, of, of marriages, of friendships, of just, you know, just a few people who like an hour ago didn't know each other and there's a whole vibe in here. There's, you cannot abstract that. Right. So uh, we are designed to operate together. And, uh, and we need to, we help each other along. So everybody is coaching everyone else. We, we, are, we are designed to, to work with mentors and to be mentored. One of my, one of my favorite go-to quotes is, uh, Drew Carey said this, and he said, we're all here for two reasons. That's to learn and to teach. And like that's how he's Drew he's, Carey, the sage Drew Carey. I'm, <laughs> I'm all over that. He's, yes, that, you the know, former you, host of. Uh, <laughs> but um, he's abs- I I think he's absolutely right. I I think we are here to to um, be givers and be, to be receivers. It's kind of interesting. It reminds me of being in the nonprofit world. There's actually a lot of nonprofits that go under, and I'm finding it unfortunately a lot of them don't collaborate. No. And, it's always this missed opportunity and this new term was introduced to me called collective impact and which was kind of that same idea is that people coming together and kind of complementing each other's organizations or just skills and taking like even mentorship positions to in order for other missions to succeed because we're all kind of intertwined in some way Uh, if this mission succeeds it may actually lead to your mission succeeding at the same time but you're both learning at at the same time I think you're absolutely spot on. You know, you work in a synergy. 
you're working a synergy, and at some point, the, you know, at the 50,000-foot level, I don't know right now with what is uh, nearest and dearest to me in terms of my own agenda, as I am pursuing that, and you are supporting me in that, and you are supporting me in that, and you are supporting me in that, and we are working collectively in synergy. We're supporting each other. I don't know that at some point mine may fall away and yours may be the solution, uh, may have impact so far beyond anything. It is not the form. You know, and in, in creators, artists understand that form follows function. You want to build a house, the architect's going to say, do you entertain a lot? How many kids do you have? Do you, do you, do you eat in the house? Do you cook? And the design of that house is going to be a reflection. It's going to take on a form that is an expression of the function that you want to bring to it. So the function that we bring to life, again, back to this limbic attunement, the function that we bring to life is generally obscured by our preoccupation with form, with the doing. So we just go to this end result. Right. I just got to build the business. I got to do my thing. I got to do my thing. But if I begin to pull back the, the, the skin of that a bit, I want to do my thing. Why? So that why? So that why? So that why? Eventually, you're going to come back to because I, I love and I want to be loved. Because I care. Because it matters to me that I feel good. Because it matters to me that when you feel good and I feel a part of that, there's something that stirs in me that is illogical. But that is always the bottom line. So that is the function. We have made it that form follows function, but if I can get back to the function, I'm collaborating with you. What I really want is to matter. I want a meaningful life. I want, I want um, meaningful connections, and I, want a, uh, and I want an exciting, contributing life. That's really what we're, always, what we're always after. And if I can do my thing and yours comes up instead, in the end, I'm, my needs are going to be fed. So uh, I, will, I will come out so far ahead. It doesn't really matter in the end whether I, what I am doing. Right. Well, you, you, find, you find a lot of businesses, right, and, or heads of businesses or, um, collaborating more. Yeah. Uh, but where is the balance between collaboration and competition in terms of stirring the pot to – to raise the bar and who's like who's more creative coke or pepsi right you know it's it's this constant like tension that you need depends whether you're in atlanta or in new jersey <laughs> <laughs> so um you know the best uh, the, i love corporate to, geography jokes exactly that's inside the belt one that's, <laughs> that went over big <laughs> <laughs> you so, yeah, we need a little. <laughs> you know, I don't know the answer to that, but what comes up for me when you say that, uh, I'm reminded of the original Olympic ideal. Uh, it's been somewhat uh, co opted um, and obscured, but originally the Olympic ideal was that you the, that the point the glory of competition referred to a uh, referred to a victory that was more than winning. We've lost sight of victory that is more than winning. I think that's what you call triumph, is a victory that is more than winning. So we're about winning. So the original Olympic creed was that competition would, um, you would, by virtue of your competition, you would inspire the, your competitor 
to reach out to reach a little bit more to dig a little deeper you'd inspire each other to greater accomplishment and greater achievement and by virtue of that there was a triumph that was more than winning so we are um takers now um, and again because we're overly reliant on the doing just do it just do it just do it it's a bigger story than that uh any real creative enterprise understands it's a real creative it's a it's a much bigger thing than just doing just doing there are other bottom lines than just do it or what is the financial bottom line there are other bottom lines what is the value that you bring in the world what is the impact that you bring in the world do you matter to people do they care about you and as you know you pointed out about millennials they see through this more than has ever happened ever before they understand what your agenda is and more and more they align themselves um everything else being more or less equal product for product they align themselves with values just as you align yourself with you make you choose your friends by virtue of their values who they are in the world why do we not choose uh, our who we who we support corporately by their values and more and more that is the case so it's not simply about uh i can get you the be- you know it's not simply about a financial consideration or uh, or the best price or there are other bottom lines here many more many more bottom lines both in corporate life and in the, in in, yeah. in individual life also in the book you talk about practicing yeah practice creativity yeah um and in fact you like give tools and things on on how to do it uh but we're uh, uh counterintuitively to that is in that same phrase or the same uh, paragraph was this idea like we're all so busy yeah you know, so where do you find that's a practice we're also busy is a practice we are also it's busy it's a false practice but right. it's a practice we are so busy because we uh, have create we have created that to be our priority and we do it individually and yeah there will be listeners who will push back and give me all the butt 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 the abbots yabbit 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 they remind me of those little pacman thing yabbit 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 <laughs> so all the yabbits about why they have to and certainly we're not here to debate that but as a general proposition we are busy 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 because that is where we assert uh, our priorities and we feed our attention to that and it is a practice we have made a practice of it just as certainly as uh, as star athletes make a practice of training and star musicians make a practice of sitting with their instruments and whether somebody is painting or mowing the grass or building a garden or raising kids the quality of attention you bring to it is a practice it takes how many hours to learn how to fly to a plane a fly a plane it's a practice so there is nothing in the domain of human experience that um is not refined and defined by our ability to to attune to it and devote our attention to it uh with um with a certain sense of commitment and a sense of uh dignity and we give to it and it gives back in a big big way but being busy that is a um bit of a psychotic practice yeah Oh well, it's like one of those things where it, you know uh we just interviewed this guy named Anthony Demby yeah. who's a really amazing guy. Uh but one of the things he talks about is his ongoing practice of meditation, right? Yeah. He's like 20 minutes in, you know, 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes at night. And then I started to, after we talked, I started thinking about all the personal development techniques that say, "Oh, all you have to do is if you for 15 minutes a day, if you just did this, 
And if I exercise for 15 minutes and I meditated for 15 minutes and then I practice creativity for 15, like it, it, soon my doctor. You have is, no more. You have a doctor. Right. So I would submit that, um, and I, I certainly know quite a few people who approach life that way. I'll do 15 minutes of this, 15 minutes of that, 15 minutes of that. And then I, I wonder, well, what is your real agenda here? Are you so right. messed up and broken? <laughs> so I got to get, get this down. I got to get this down. So that my takeaway from that is, um, you know, I have a poor body image. I have, you know, there's like 10 or 15, 15 things that, you've, that somebody is trying to address. Right. With, uh, so the only practice that they are really uh, devoting to, they're devotional to, is feeling not good enough. You know, I, I, if pick one, how you do one thing is how you do everything. So pick one and commit. But make a commitment. Just commit. So, you know, I, my, the radio in my car has been broken for a long time, and I didn't fix it because it allows me to be in traffic and to um, be aware of what's going on in myself. And lots of times I, you know, I'm, I'm well, can I say pissed off on the air? It's podcast, you can, right? You can say all kinds of things. We've heard a lot Well, because, you know, I don't know whether we're on broadcast radio here, so I've been bleeped out more than uh, I care to imagine. Mm. But um, We haven't made it there yet. It's still, we're still in the, in the minor leagues. <laughs> <laughs> well, you get to sit and uh, with my own sense of being bored or wishing uh, the radio worked. And, you know, what is all that about? I can't, be, I can't be with myself. I have to be entertained full 24-7. Something has always got to distract me from myself. I Wayne can't... Dyer says, uh, being alone is okay if you like who you're alone with. Exactly. And very few of us have been alone with ourselves long enough to get to know who that is. So that's, uh, you know, that, that is a virgin relationship for most of us. Um, that's a practice. So how we go about... Um, carving out a, a set of priorities. I don't care whether it's 20 minutes or 10 minutes or five minutes. I don't care whether it is um, a meditative practice, uh, whether it is a, um, a, a workout practice, whether it's a walking practice, whether it is a reading practice, whether it's just a sitting, playing with your kids practice. To take, to make a commitment to uh, make a commitment to honoring yourself, respecting your own emotional life, inner life, enough to devote um, time to it will change uh, the quality of your being. It will change your mood, and it will um, recalibrate the way you do things, maybe not um, in, in, two, in two days, maybe not in three days, but certainly in two, three months. And what's more... It will actually um, leave a, a. It will actually etch itself in the in your very physiology. Your neural systems will will change to reflect that. We have a thing that is now widely discussed as neuroplasticity. We used to believe that um, you came in with the cards that were dealt you, and you went out. You know, cradle cradle a grave. You went out with exactly the same neural blueprinting, and that is clearly. Uh, uh, understood as not being the case anymore. Right. So you take a practice and you are actually, the reason that we resist practice is because our neural maps, the way our uh, axons and dendrites, our, our neurons are wired together, they're wired together in a way that is comfortable and does not include taking a practice. So the moment that you 
do something out of the familiar, you're going to get a lot of pushback, and it's going to show up in the strategic part of the brain as all the reasons why not. Well, speaking of that wiring, right, it, it, you know, when you mention your mom was young it, when she was watching soap operas. and Yeah, like, yeah, Barnett, sounds Barnett, like Barnett fan, that sounds so. good. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> you, you, At least I wasn't Dakota or right, something, exactly. right? Or Bert. Bert. Okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know if she was that young. But uh, but then, yeah, sorry. Um, uh, and then your dad's a butcher. Yeah. And that, you know, on the, on paper, does yeah. not equal what we're talking about now. You bet. So, like, how did you make this transition, from, I don't know, from your humble beginnings, it sounds like, yeah. uh, in the in, in Canada, yeah. to, to, to be here now, to quote Eckhart Tolle? <laughs> It wasn't working for me. It wasn't working for me. Um, I didn't... I wanted a, um, a larger world. It was a very small world. And I outgrew the world. You know, even while I was in high school, I way outgrew that world. And so I went off to uh, a, a slightly larger world. Uh, I went off to Ottawa... Slightly, so large, very but, slightly, but only, sli- <laughs> only slightly, and um, that didn't go so well for me. So I went off to, um, and flunked out of school two years in a row because it was just slightly large enough for me to have just slightly more party, and that wasn't enough. <laughs> so um, I moved from there to Europe, and I was there for a lot of years, and I got an exposure to, uh, simply to. Uh, whole different value sets, whole different cultural sets. I saw things that I had no relation to as a boy growing up in northern Quebec. I had no relationship to it whatsoever. And I couldn't go back from that. By the time I did come back from that, um, I went from, from, at that point I was living in the UK, I went back to New York and worked in advertising for a while. I had a different appreciation of um, the possibilities that existed. Not that I felt were available to me, right. but I'd seen a lot, and I thought, wow, there's a lot of possibilities in the world. And, and I noticed, why is it that, for example, why is it that the sons and daughters of investment bankers or film directors, why do they have this uh, unusual, unusual confidence it's a lot easier for them not just because of nepotism but they're just it's a lot easier for them to um, step into the lineage what is all that about what is the relationship of, of nature and versus nurture there what is it all about why is it that some people are preternaturally disposed to um, the experience of, of success however different kinds of success however we choose to define it why is that it's it's not simply um, it's not simply baked in. There is, there is some relationship to uh, our context. Right. And so I began to very consciously explore that and to pursue that, and uh, I became the subject of my own experiment. I didn't know that at first. It took a while to realize, yeah, I'm playing absolutely at, uh, on my edge. I have no sense of, no ability to go back there is, it's a high wire act. There is no safety. There is no, you know, this freelance thing taking it to, to the extreme. <laughs> right. There's, you know, you, I could not make my life like Greece. I could not make my life small enough to pay my gas bill. 
you're either going to play all out and have a really, really creative, innovative life, or you're going to get very constricted and try and play and color within the lines with your life, and that life gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So I just, beca- I just became the subject of my own experiment. That's awesome. Um, and I think we've, we've definitely all, all been there at some point. We've right? all been there. There's that frustration <laughs> that comes with it, and you're like, ah, and like, there's this angst and tension that happens. Uh, I, like, I have so many other things I want to keep talking to you about, but um, we're running out of time. But, 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 but. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Um, <laughs> yeah, but in Costello. We need sweatshirts. We need Yabbit sweatshirts. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Uh, two quick things. Yeah. One is, the show is called Innovation Crush. What are you personally crushing on right now that's out in the world? What do you see, you know? Man, uh, well, I've got this movie that I'm, um, I'm in two weeks I start prep on and I start shooting September 14th, so I'm not sure about this, but by the time Every time podcast, I think of Donald Sutherland, I think, did it look at you? Did it? Did it? Well. Backdraft. When, Anybody? Mm, yes. I think Casanova. Actually, I, before that, I think, um, I think Kelly's Heroes. Wow. Went way back. You ever watch that? Uh, yes. Is that fantastic? Yeah. You, you got to love a guy that's playing a 60s flower child in 1941. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all about that right now. And then um, the book's doing incredibly well. I'm excited about that. Uh, it's like number one in about three different categories. Wow. Um, I'm excited about that. Well, mine will be in the mail pretty soon. I thought, you know, I thought one was coming with. I would have brought. I, I, I would have brought it in. I, just, <laughs> I didn't think about it. You know, it's like I, I'm just. No, you came a long way. I, I appreciate. it. Long way. <laughs> and um, and last but not least, uh, complete this phrase for me. I'm going to bring you in wrapped in butcher paper. That, that's thank you. the long way. That is that's a, the long road. Yeah. It almost sounded like a threat, but then I realized yeah. it's poetic. So uh, poetic threat. <laughs> this is my new rap group. Um, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> poetic threat. <laughs> uh, all right, you ready? <laughs> Innovation to me is complete that phrase for me. Innovation to me is out beyond the horizon of what I know. It is not. Uh, it is not version 2.0. It's not an improvement over what was. It is fundamentally disruptive. Perfect. Wow. Um, I'm, you should have just dropped the mic and on that one. That was <laughs> boom. Um, po- poetic threat can't follow that up. So I want to thank you for making the the and holding my hand right here. Um, <laughs> kumbaya, kumbaya. Let's fist go. bump around the table. <laughs> um, everyone, this has been. Enough. By the way, where can people uh, look you up before I 100? You know, you close? can get me at www.barnetbain.com. One T B A R N E T B A I N dot com. Bane. Uh, so everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleichinger, Schleichinger, I've been friends with her for 10 years, one of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore because it's here and it's funny and I love you.
A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and three comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.